Those of you who are uh, members of our church this morning, um, I want to ask you to, to help me out uh, even before we get to the response time uh, of our uh, worship time together today. Uh, help me by doing two things. Number one, uh, just enter in with me, if you would, into a spirit of prayer about what we'll hear and see uh, from God's word this morning, particularly as relates to our mission and vision as a church. Uh, Pastor Danny and I both in the week as we've been preparing for, uh, for today uh, have been uh, sensing that, that God is, is moving in uh, very important and meaningful ways in the life of our church, particularly with regard to what we're going to discuss in God's word today. And so I, I just hope that I, I'm asking, I'm not hoping, I'm asking you to just commit with me to be entering into, into a state of, of prayer, a prayerful mind as much as you can right now. As we go to God's word, asking that God would really speak to you, that God would make clear to you the, the direction uh, that he is placing on your life and what he is calling to, to, to do. Ask God to prepare your heart even now uh, to be obedient to his leading. And then do this. Um, uh, we have this normally for our guests, but members, you, you have some uh, work to do also. You tear out that little uh, response card that's in there. And uh, on the front side where it says, thanks for joining us today, just go ahead and write your name where it says your name. Uh, we don't need all that other information unless you have uh, email or phone number or something you need to update. Put that in there. And at the end of uh, our, our time in God's word this morning, I'm going to ask you to flip that over. And on the back side where there's space where it says prayer request to, to write some things, I'm going to ask you to, to write a response uh, as to how you'll be obedient to God and to his word today. And I'm going to ask you uh, to please remain through our entire service today and respond in obedience to how God is leading you today, member of First West. So you are prepared uh, prayerfully for how God will lead us, and you are ready to respond when it is time for us to respond to God's word. Well, this month, you know that we have been working through, uh, on Sunday mornings, our mission and vision. Our, our mission as a church is printed there on the front of the worship guide that you just tore that little slip out of. And if you'll look at it, you'll see that it reads, First Baptist West Albuquerque exists to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ in the power, in the Holy, uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit. We exist to make God famous in the world as we make other followers of Jesus. Last week and this week and then next week, we're fleshing out the three different parts of our vision statement. We know that uh, the mission is that point on the horizon which we are steadfastly working toward as a church. We, we are steadfastly walking toward glorifying God with all of our lives as we make disciples of Jesus. But our, our vision statement serves as guardrails along the way and as a picture of, of what we know that we'll look like when, when, uh, as we uh, fulfill our mission. Our vision statement is threefold. It, it's uh, memorable by three different words, know, grow, and go. And it describes the kind of disciples we intend to be as followers of Jesus, what we intend to look at as we are following Christ in our own lives, and it describes the kind of disciples of Jesus we are trying to make. We at First Baptist West Albuquerque make disciples who know Christ as Lord through his word. We looked at the importance of God's word and how it reveals to us who Christ is and how we can know him for salvation. We saw that last week. This week, we're looking at that second part of it, that we make disciples who grow in obedience and maturity to Christ. Disciples who grow in obedience and maturity in Christ. And, and more than us just making disciples who do that, we are disciples who help one another to grow in obedience and maturity 
to Christ. Our vision for making disciples of Jesus here at this church is to make disciples who know Christ as Lord through his word and who grow with one another in maturity and faithfulness, faithful obedience to Jesus. My prayer, friends, as we look at Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16, is that as we are praying even now, God, help us to hear your voice clearly so we can respond in total faith and obedience to your word, that we would be be asking God to help us to commit in 2019 to lend specific and intentional help towards someone else's growth in Jesus. That as we look at what God has to say about spiritual maturity in the church, how the church really grows, that we would commit our lives this year to lending, to giving specific help to another believer to grow in faith, maturity, obedience to Jesus. Let me say that maybe more plainly than that, that we would commit in this year as members to, to disciple someone else in Jesus. As we look at God's word this morning and the importance of of unity and maturity in Christ Jesus, let us uh, stand together as we read Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. There Paul writes to the church where he spent uh, almost three years of, of one of his missionary journeys. He says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Father God, I confess to you this morning, I am far too unable to unpack all of the wonderful truth that is here in your word to us today. That even as a pastor, God, apart from you, I I am incapable of doing the very things that, that this text tells me I am called to do for your church. God, I I in myself am not powerful enough to affect change in the hearts of this body of believers. But Lord, you are. You are capable. You are powerful, you are sufficient, and Lord, I know that you are willing. And so I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would move in your people this morning. That we might be obedient to your word and to the call that you've placed upon every one of us as believers. To make this body grow in maturity in Jesus Christ. And not of our own efforts, but through the the, the help that you supply. That we might build ourselves up under Christ who is the head in love. Speak through me now, Father, I pray. Open our hearts and our our ears to receive what you have for us in your word today, that, that we might go from this place prepared to glorify you, glorify you better by making disciples of Jesus and the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Be seated. Our mission 
is to glorify God by making disciples. And the kind of disciples that we make are those who know Christ as Lord through his word and who grow with one another in maturity and obedience to Jesus. Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16, helps us to define several things about this concept of spiritual maturity, about what it is to grow in Jesus. And we see first in verses 11 and 12 what spiritual maturity is. We see what spiritual maturity is, how it's defined. Spiritual maturity is first, we know, Christ's plan for the church. It's what Christ intends for the church. Verses 11 and 12, both of our passage today, tell us that Jesus gifts the church. He gives to the church the gift of leaders who are called to equip believers for growth in maturity and body-wide encouragement and development. Paul names four uh, kinds of people here that God calls to this task. Two of them, uh, are, are two of these kinds of people are, are no longer really in existence in the church today. They existed for a short period of time, and, and two others exist even into the present day. The first two that, that are no longer really in use by God, because after the finishing of the writing of the New Testament, we have the, the solidified word of God, and so we don't need new revelation from the Lord. The first two that, that are no longer present with us today, but were primarily for the apostolic period, are first the apostles. That is, those who visually witnessed the risen Jesus and who were gifted with miraculous gifts for the validation of the gospel message that they were preaching. The second of these two that is uh, no longer necessarily in use by God is uh, the office of prophets. There are those who are gifted by the Holy Spirit with clear revelation from God for the church. And they were uh, uh, active in the church and throughout the New Testament uh, until the New Testament was completed. We even see, if you're to read through the New Testament, you'll see that, that over time the number of prophets seems to decrease. And, and apostles are not really uh, as those who were uh, visual eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord Jesus. They're, no, they're, they're not adding new apostles and they're not adding new prophets as Scripture goes along. But there are two that continue, two offices, two kinds of people that God gives to the church to equip the church for ministry. And those are first evangelists, who are those who in ancient days and even today traveled proclaiming the gospel and planting churches in many ways like modern missionaries and, and even itinerant evangelists like you know uh, Billy Graham and, and his son Franklin and Greg Laurie and others. God has gifted some with just this, this ability to speak the gospel in compelling ways and give clear calls to respond to people. The last of these that God mentions or, or that God's word mentions through Paul is the one that we're probably most familiar with. Now, our English translations translate these as two different uh, persons, the shepherds and teachers. Uh, but there's good evidence to, to, to believe that, that Paul is referring to one person, shepherd teachers, one kind of person, shepherd teachers or pastors in the church. These are those who are gifted and charged with the spiritual care, oversight, administration, and teaching of the word of God in the local church. Now, all of these people are gifts, gifts of Christ to the church for the overall purpose of equipping the church for service with one another, resulting in the building up of the body of Christ. Do you see that? Verse 12, to equip, he gives all of these to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith, knowledge of the Son of God, mature manhood, and so on. Spiritual maturity is so important, friends, so important for, to Christ for the church that he gifts the church with people that he has called to facilitate maturity in him, spiritual maturity, growth, and development. 
your progression from spiritual child to spiritual adult is so important and commanded by Christ that he gives people to the church to equip you to make that development, to make that growth, and to help one another to do the same. Just for the sake of, of hopefully proving my, my, the, the point that I'm trying to make, uh, take your pencil or a pen, and I want you to write in your Bible for a second. Some of you are shouting blasphemy in your heads. I already wrote in mine, so do what you want with that. But I just want you to underline all of these different terms, all of these phrases that refer to spiritual maturity in different ways in this text this morning. First of all, in verse 12, underline or circle that phrase for building up the body of Christ. Verse 13, underline that phrase until we all attain. This is a process we're working toward by God's grace. In ver- at the end of verse 13, underline that phrase, to mature manhood. Right after that, underline the next phrase, or circle the next phrase, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, underline, circle, write a little squiggly line under, no longer be children. In verse 15, somehow emphasize for yourself this phrase, we are to grow up. And finally, in verse 16, the last part, two phrases. First, makes the body grow. Christ makes the body grow. And the last phrase of verse 16, so that it builds itself up in love. I didn't count very quickly, but something like seven different references to growing, to building up, to developing, to to progressing in maturity as believers in these five verses if you don't believe that spiritual maturity is Christ's plan from, for the church from these verses, I don't know how else to convince you, but perfectly you have been convinced. Spiritual maturity is Christ's plan for the church, and he gifts the church with people to facilitate this. Not to do all of the work, but to facilitate it, to equip the saints for this work to, be, to, to take place. Spiritual maturity is Christ's plan for the church so that they would be united in the truth, verse 13 says. We're to be built up as the body of Christ until we all attain, there's that phrase again about maturity, all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. This means very simply that the body of Christ matures, grows, develops by being in agreement about the truth of the gospel. We are more mature when we agree on the truth of the gospel than when we disagree. It means being certain that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. It means being in agreement that Jesus, the incarnate Word of God, is one with God the Father. And it is being in full agreement with, without any dissension that we have known Jesus Christ as Savior by submitting to Him as Lord. Spiritual maturity happens when we are in agreement about this most important truth of the gospel. Spiritual maturity also takes place or is defined by Jesus as being grown up. Verse 13 continues continues saying that the church is to be built up to mature manhood. This is not a gender-specific term, okay? We could just as easily say mature adulthood. the, The point, though, is this. Spiritually mature Christians will act like spiritual adults. Spiritually mature Christians will act like spiritual adults. Dear friends, I know some children and some youth who are more spiritually mature than some adults. Spiritually mature believers, spiritually maturing Christians will be grown up in their thinking. 
grown up in their behavior, in their speech, in their desires, and so on. I, uh, one of the greatest uh, insults that somebody could give me when I was a child in the late 80s and early 90s was, oh, grow up. Right? Be your age. Act your age. Christian, Jesus is saying through Paul, his servant, in Ephesians 4, act your age. Christian, time to grow up. Time to grow up. Spiritual maturity is, is not just acting your age, it's, it's living out the character of Christ in a way that is fully orbed, that is grown up, that is sensible, that is developed. So every part of your life, whether you're eight years old or 98 years old, looks as much like Jesus as your life is capable of reflecting Jesus. Spiritual maturity is Christ's plan for the church, but spiritual maturity also, we, we've defined what it is, but, but Christ is also helpful to tell us how we measure Spiritual maturity. How do we know when, we've, when we are actually mature? Spiritual maturity is measured by obedience. Spiritual maturity is measured by obedience. That word obedience gets a, gets a really bad rap in our culture today. Obedience is, is obey is a four-letter word, in, in literally and, you know, uh, figuratively speaking. To ask someone to obey what you are telling them to do seems to be in our day and age something that's just so repulsive to the human heart, to the American culture, to submit to the authority of someone else. But understand, Christian, obedience is, is not a bad thing. Obedience is a delightful thing. Obedience as, as a Christian to Christ our Savior, to Christ our Lord, is a joyous thing and a wonderful gift that he has given to the church to enjoy. Spiritual maturity is measured by obedience. Here at the end of verse 13, Paul tells us what will be the measurement of our maturity as Christians. He says, the standard of our maturity, the goal that we are striving to reach, is the stature of the fullness of Christ. The Christian Standard Bible, Newer English Translation, says it this way, and I really like how they translate this. Growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. So you may be asking, how do I know if I'm spiritually mature? To which the answer may be, well, how much do you look like Jesus? Or better, you may be asking, what parts of my life don't resemble Christ yet? That's a good way to know how mature you are. In this sense, we can think of spiritual maturity as total obedience to Christ. You can know that you are growing in maturity in Jesus Christ when all of your life is obeying him. There are two aspects of obedience uh, that, that we can point out from scripture. There's first the inward aspect of obedience. Me and my own heart, my own soul being obedient to Jesus. Here, I think the Sermon on the Mount and, and all the uh, times where uh, Jesus said, you heard it was said, but I tell you are helpful for thinking about inward obedience. So for instance, uh, Matthew 5, 21 to 22, Jesus says, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. To the fire, yeah, to the hell of fire. Or, or Matthew 5, verses 27 to 28, where Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
You see, obedience to Christ and Christ-likeness begins in the heart. It begins inwardly. Inward obedience, inward spiritual maturity is when you as a believer are aware of your sinful thoughts and aware of your sinful motivations and you are actively seeking to repent of them. You are actively seeking to get over, get past, work through by the grace of God those sinful inclinations in your heart. When your heart, dear friend, begins to beat for the things that Jesus' heart beats for, when your motivations begin to resemble those of Christ's, then you can know that you are growing in maturity. Spiritual maturity measured by obedience begins in the inward person. But friends, it does not stop there. Obedience is measured inwardly, but obedience is also measured outwardly. We know that everything that we are on the inside, everything we are in our hearts will work itself out into our actions, into our speech, into our relationships. Many of the commands that Jesus gives to his disciples into the church are outwardly oriented. For instance, John 13, 34, where he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you, are all, you, are, you also are to love one another. Love is not just a feeling that we have in in our hearts. It's not just an an affection that we maintain in the inward person. But as DC Talk so wisely said one time, love is a verb. Love is a thing that we do. A new commandment I give to you, Jesus says, just as I have loved you, you love one another. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What about that is only inward focused? Very little. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus says, deny yourself and follow me. You can't deny yourself and follow Christ only in the inward person. You can't deny yourself, follow Christ, and then every day of the week be hanging out at bars, getting drunk with your buddies, shooting black tar heroin under your toenails in the alleyways of Albuquerque, okay? Following Christ, that's an explicit example, I'm sorry, but but you get the point. Following Christ impacts the way we live. Jesus says in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, external command, make disciples of all nations. Friends, we cannot make disciples of all nations sitting on the couch at home with our devotional 24 hours a day. Making disciples of all nations means getting up off our duff and making disciples. The brother of Jesus, James, says in James 1, 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Friend, God measures our maturity by obedience. First, to the inward command to repent of our sin and to trust the Son of God. And then God continues to measure our obedience. Secondly, by uh, uh, by the obedience to the outward conduct of our lives, spiritually mature Christians are repenting of sin and acting in Christ-like ways toward others, obeying Christ's commands. Spiritually mature Christians obey Jesus inwardly and outwardly. They love Christ in their hearts and they love Christ in the world. They're They're making sure that they are growing as disciples, as individuals, and they're helping others to grow, grow as disciples around them. Understand this, church. Maturing Christians will delight. They will have joy in whole life obedience to Jesus. Amen. I want to invite you to do a little exercise with me this morning. 
in your worship guide, you open it up, you see right there under the, under the, the note of application for us this morning that maturing Christians will delight in whole life obedience to Jesus. I want you to take a moment just to consider two questions and how you would answer these two things. First of all, engaging your own spiritual maturity. Ask yourself, how obedient am I to Christ's inward commands? Gauge yourself, rate yourself, grade yourself on a scale of one to 10. One being not obedient at all and 10 being perfectly obedient. I don't expect to see any 10s circled in worship guides laying around church today. How obedient am I to Christ's inward commands? Take a moment, circle a number, give yourself an evaluation. Ask yourself as you're considering, how obedient am I to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? How obedient am I to confess and repent of my sin daily? How obedient am I to Christ's inward commands? Then I need you to be honest with yourself a second time. On the same scale, how would you evaluate your obedience to love your neighbor as yourself, to love your enemies, to deny Christ or deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus? How obedient are you to make disciples? How obedient are you to Christ's outward commands? You don't have to show this to anybody. I'm not going to ask you to turn this in at the end of worship today. I just want you, I just want all of us to be honest, to be, to be brutally honest if we need to with ourselves today and our obedience to Jesus, both inwardly and outwardly. Okay, now you can cover that up with your Bible so your neighbor doesn't see, and that's just between you and the Lord, okay? Paul tells us what spiritual maturity is, that spiritual maturity is Christ's plan for the church. And it's measured by obedience. And we know that maturing Christians will delight in whole life obedience to Jesus. There's joy in doing and in being what Christ has called and made us to do and to be. Then Paul goes a little bit further and he tells us what spiritual maturity is not. Paul is so helpful in this way. He tells us what spiritual maturity is and he tells us what it's not. So there'll be no confusion about the matter. He tells us that spiritual maturity is not specifically, if I could sum it up this way, spiritual maturity is not being deceived or manipulated. Okay. Spiritual maturity is not easily deceived or manipulated. Paul tells us here what spiritual maturity is intended to guard against. What growing in Jesus, growing in obedience to Christ, in unity and in unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, what that results uh, in. It results in, in us uh, knowing how to guard against deception. The purpose, the very purpose of being mature in Christ, of growing up into the stature of the fullness of Jesus, is so that the believer will not be confused about what is true so that the believer will not be easily deceived by what is untrue. To take it a step further, spiritual maturity is found even in being able to discern what is only partially true. Friends, there are a lot of half, half gospels in the world today. And spiritually mature believers will not be deceived by half gospels. The gospel of Jesus Christ is incredibly clear and straightforward to us in scripture. God who loves us, sent his own son to be born a man named Jesus who lived without sin in order that he could die to pay the penalty for our rebellion, for our sin against our loving God. And he did this and, 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 and so that we can have those sins forgiven, so that we can have new life given to us, not by 
trying harder, not by being the best version of me, not, for look, not, not by looking for my best life now, not by getting up and washing my face in the morning, but that we can have a right relationship with God simply by placing all our hope and trust in this life and in the next, in the risen Lord Jesus, the Son of God. The gospel is clear. The gospel is simple. There is one way to know the Father who loves you and created you, and that is through faith in his Son, Jesus. The spiritually mature Christian or the spiritually mature church then is not persuaded to believe that they personally can save themselves from their sin. The spiritually mature are not uh, deceived into thinking that sin is not a big deal. Those who are spiritually mature know that sin is sitting at our doorstep every every day and that its desire is to conquer us. We're aware of the danger of sin Spiritually mature believers in the spiritually mature church are not manipulated into believing that God desires our happiness or our physical healthiness more than he wants our holiness. Those who are mature in Christ can tell when they're hearing a half gospel or a false gospel. And the spiritually mature person guards against that deception and that manipulation, not only in their own lives, but also in the lives of others. Know this this morning, member of First West, maturing Christians will use the true gospel to discern what is false. There are a lot of great like apologetics books and theology books and, uh, and books that give us information about other cults and other world religions that understand maybe salvation or understand God differently than the, the Christian worldview. And those books are all helpful I rec- I, there are several that I could recommend to you today, but the first book that I would recommend to you today, if you want to know the true gospel, is, is not an apologetics book or a theology text, but this book, Amen. the very word of God. Start here first. Last week, we, we talked about the, the, the great value of God's word to the life of the Christian and that the word of God is both a light in darkness and a corrective lens to help us see clearly. God's word lights up the world around us so that we can see everything uh, as it truly is. And the, the gospel, the word of God provides for us corrective lenses like these I'm wearing on my face today so that I can see the world, not just uh, in, in, in shapes and, and moving things fuzzy objects, but so I can see the world clearly, so that I know what is true, so that I'll not be deceived uh, or manipulated by things that look one way, but really are something else. The word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ is helpful, is profitable for showing the mature Christian what is false and what is true and being able to discern between the two quickly. What I would encourage you to do is Every Sunday that we are here together and reading God's word, and I'm saying this is what God's word means, and this is how it applies to your life, I would ask you to discern what I am saying, not by the charisma with which I say it, to discern the truth of what I am saying, uh, not by the energy behind, uh, behind what I am saying, the energy that I bring behind what I am saying, or by how nicely or poorly I am dressed on any given day, but, but, but discern whether what I'm saying about Jesus and the gospel is true week to week through the lens of the gospel. Amen. It's not good to have a critical spirit of your pastors, but if you are discerning every word that comes out of my mouth when I am teaching God's word by the word, I don't have a problem with that. Okay? And if there's correction that I need to make in my life, 
come to me graciously, lovingly with the word of God to say, pastor, I don't know if you meant to say this. Paul tells us what spiritual maturity is, what it is not. And then he tells us how spiritual maturity happens. And this is where the, 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 our text today gets, gets really real with us right now. Spiritual maturity, I think, is something that all of us as Christians want to say uh, uh, that, that we want to be, we want to attain. I want to be spiritually mature. I don't want to be deceived. I want to be able to know the truth. I want to grow up in Jesus. It's something that, that, that even helping, you know, help, the concept of helping others to grow in obedience and maturity in Christ is something that I think all of us would agree that we ought to do. But then Paul tells us how spiritual maturity happens, and here's where the rubber meets the road. Spiritual maturity happens first, Paul tells us, when we care enough to say what is true. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Spiritual maturity happens, friends, when we care enough to say what is true, even if we know the truth is going to hurt. Deceivers and gospel fakes desire to carry out schemes to undermine the gospel. But mature Christians speak what is true with godly love for one another. Amen. Spiritual maturity is loving one another enough to point out what is inconsistent in another person's life. As a family of faith, as a body of Christ, as those who have covenanted together as members here at First West, spiritual maturity happens when we care enough to go to our brother or our sister and say, Dear friend, I think I see some sin in your life. I think I see something inconsistent in your life with what you say is true about what you believe about Jesus. Spiritual maturity is loving one another enough to, to point out sin, to say what is true. But spiritual maturity is also loving one another enough not to be a jerk about it. Paul says, rather, speaking the truth in love. There is a way, and you who are parents know, and you've experienced either success or failure in this way, to speak truth to someone while also still showing that you are loving and caring and, and, and seeing, uh, looking out for the best in a person. As parents, we constantly have to speak truth to our children to bring correction or, or to bring formative instruction to their lives. But if we do it in, in, in just with a mean spirit or a grumpy heart, if we do it with anger in our voice, that's not speaking the truth in love. Spiritual maturity in the church happens similarly when we care enough to say what is true and we care enough about the other person not to be a jerk about it. It is saying, this is what is true, dear friend, and here is what is deceitful. And because I love you, I'm not just going to shout at you or correct you and walk away, but because I love you, I am going to suffer long beside you so that we can understand the truth together. That's what speaking the truth in love looks like. Speaking the truth in love is hard. And if you, if you don't think that speaking the truth in love is hard, you're probably one of those who's speaking the truth and being a jerk about it. Spiritual maturity happens when we care enough to say what is true. We see here also, though, that spiritual maturity happens always under the authority of Christ, under the authority of Jesus. Notice that all of this maturity happens under the headship of Christ. Paul says in verses 15 and following, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow. Christ makes the body grow. 
If Christ is the head in this analogy of the church as the body of Christ, then the rest of the body, the the church as we understand it, is either growing under the head in connection to it or not at all. You cannot be a, a spiritual test tube arm growing in a laboratory disconnected from Christ who is the head. Last time I saw an arm that was not, I've never seen an arm not connected to a head. But I've been to the cadaver lab at UNM's uh, uh, medical school when I was in high school. And there are parts of bodies that are removed from the, bo- from, from the body there. And I've never seen a part of a body removed uh, from the body itself that could actually work and function and do what it's supposed to do all on its own. At least one beautiful aspect of the church here, friends, is that we are all connected by faith to Christ himself. This is a beautiful thing. Just, just roll that around in your head for a minute. Yeah. That we are all together connected to one another because Christ is our head. Amen. And through the Holy Spirit, we are, we are united not only to Christ, but, but to our brothers and sisters. The same Holy Spirit that Christ promises to send to the church that dwells in the heart of every believer is the one spirit that, that brings us together in unity in Christ. There is no part then... Church, there's no part of the body that is unnecessary. And there is no Christian who is then less valuable or somehow disposable. Instead, all of us must mature. And we must mature under the headship, under the authority, under the direction and example and unifying person of Jesus himself. If you're looking to grow as a Christian, apart from the church and its connection to Christ, you will be constantly flummoxed, constantly stumped, always frustrated with your lack of maturity in Jesus because you're never meant to grow in Christ all on your own, disconnected from his body. Spiritual maturity happens when we care enough to say what is true, speaking the truth in love and not being a jerk about it. It happens under the authority of Christ who is the head and the unifier of the body. And it happens finally with the intentional help of others. Spiritual maturity happens with the intentional help of others. I love how Paul ends this little paragraph. He says, when each part is working properly, Christ who is the head makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. See what's happening here. See what what Paul is describing uh, uh, in, in how Jesus through the Holy Spirit works in the church that when every part of the body is functioning properly under the authority of Christ, when every member of the church has their entire life both inwardly and outwardly submitted in obedience to Jesus, when everyone is doing what Christ has called us to do under the headship of Christ and in community with one another, The whole body works to build itself up. How? In love. In love. Here's the point. Maturing believers who are growing up into Christ and who are growing in their love for Jesus cannot help but seek to help others grow up in Christ as well. I'll say that again because I'm not sure that you heard me. Maturing believers... If you think you are someone who is growing up in Christ, this applies to you. Maturing believers who are growing up into Christ and who are growing in love for Christ, that's their motivation in life, cannot help, will not stop. But they will seek to help others grow up in Christ as well. To put it as simply as I can, maturing disciples of Jesus love 
relish, take joy in maturing other disciples of Jesus. Those who are growing in their love and obedience to Christ love other things far less in comparison to how they love helping others to grow in Jesus. Turn with me in your Bibles, uh, kind of to the, towards the back to Titus, Paul's letter to Pastor Titus, Titus chapter 2. Where Paul gives the Pastor Titus an illustration of what this looks like, what it looks like to invest your life, to, to intentionally uh, help others mature in obedience to Jesus. He says in Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, As for you, speaking to Titus, who's an elder, pastor, overseer in the church, as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Jump down to verse 6. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. Older men are to invest their lives. Older, maturing men in the church who love Jesus and are wanting to grow in Jesus will show their love and obedience to Christ by setting an example for younger men in the church. And, and, and not a passive example, right? Paul says to, to Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Notice that Paul says to Titus, use your words to teach younger men. So many of us love to hear that, that, that statement that is often refer, or, or, uh, attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, which he very likely never said, but the phrase goes, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. Friends, you can't preach the gospel unless you use words. You can't teach what accords with sound doctrine. You can't disciple young men if you don't use words. It takes intentionality. It takes words. It takes truth spoken in love. Look, look then, he, uh, Paul addresses not only older men in the church, but also older women, verse 3. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good. Again, teaching, use your words. Teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Understand this this morning, church. Older women teach younger women what godly womanhood looks like on purpose. It doesn't happen by accident. They do it on purpose. And men, because I'm a man, I feel like I can speak really directly to you this morning. Older men teach younger men what godly manhood looks like on purpose, not by accident. Amen. Earlier this week, the razor company Gillette released a, a new ad. It's, it's almost two minutes long. It's more like a short film. And Gillette's, Gillette's uh, tagline as a brand is the best a man can get, right? Uh, when I was in youth, never mind, I won't tell that story. <laughs> the best a man can get. But the tagline of the new commercial that they, they just released in response to the, the Me Too movement and, and uh, you know, sexual harassment uh, in workplaces and, and in our culture and, and just this sort of um, uh, passive uh, allowance of these things to take place in our culture, uh, Gillette has asked in this commercial, is this the best a man can get? And they show pictures of, of uh, men catcalling women on the street. Is this the best a man can get? 
Show pictures of, of men doing inappropriate things to their female co-workers in, in the business place, asking, is this the best a man can get? And then they give alternatives to that, where the man starts catcalling the woman on the street. His buddy comes up and says, hey, man, not cool, not cool, right? Stop. As though to say that men, men can get better, men can do better. There are two boys fighting in the yard. A dad comes over and separates the two from fighting and says, hey, guys, this isn't how we treat each other. So as to say, this, men can get better yet still. My problem with this commercial that Gillette has released is that Gillette somehow had to beat the church to the punch to be this force for telling men what they can and ought to be in the culture. Makes me sick, men, that Gillette is asking the question, is this the best a man can get? When we know by God's word, the best a man can get is to live up to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That men can get better still than, than stopping their idiot friends from catcalling women on the street. That fathers can be better still than, than just separating their kids from fighting. That there's more that we can do in our lives and with our words to be men in this world. And Gillette beat us to the punch. We know that the best a man can get is to be right with God, his father, through faith in Jesus Christ. By saying, God, I'm a sinner. My sin condemns me. But Jesus, your son, died and rose to forgive me of my sin. I need him. I can be better yet, Father, by your help, through your grace in Jesus Christ in my life. Save me. Men can get better still when, when we know and, and we practice like 1 Corinthians says. When we embody the kind of uh, love that, that, that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, men can be better still when we, when we know that love is patient and kind, when we are not envious or boastful, when we are not arrogant or rude, when we don't insist on our own way, when we're not irritable or resentful. Uh, the best a man can get is better still in Christ because the best a man can get is one who does not rejoice in wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. The best a man can get in Christ is, is to, to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things, to embody the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Gillette asks the question, is this the best a man can get? My answer is no, but we can do better still even than the picture that you are portraying because for 2,000 stinking years, we've known better. Men, it's time to do better and to teach better to our children. off my soapbox. Yeah. Maturing Christians who love to mature and, and help other Christians to mature do it intentionally. They do it on purpose. They do it with the word of God as their foundation. They do it through teaching, through words spoken in love to others that they might also grow. Listen, I've used that word grow a, a lot this morning. There are many ways to measure growth in a church. One is to measure growth simply numerically. Are we have more people showing up this week than we did last week? We're growing. Maybe, maybe not. If the number of people that are coming to our church on Sunday are, are, are only disillusioned or disaffected Christians from other churches that are coming to our church, Christians who have left other churches because they're not happy about something there, who have come to join this church because they think that we've got it all together, they're very quickly going to be sorely disappointed and we'll find ourselves shrinking in very little time. Right? So we can't measure growth simply numerically, just by more people in seats on Sunday. There's a second way we can gauge growth, and, and this is a really good one. 
We can gauge growth numerically, but not by disaffected, disillusioned church members, uh, previous Christians coming to our church because they want to find something better, but judging nu- numerically or counting numerically the new believers who are coming to our church. The, those that we have shared the gospel with in our workplaces or, 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 or our neighbors or our, our kids, friends, families at school or whatever the case may be, when we have opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus, to invite others to respond in faith to Christ, and they do, they respond, and then they, they come and join their life to the life of this church as partners with us in gospel ministry, praise the Lord. That's numerical growth that, that we can stand on. But there's another kind of growth yet that, that I think because just in our humid, human finiteness, our human limitations that we don't always look at as a measure for growth. And I think, though, it's an incredibly important one. We can measure growth, as Paul illustrates for us here in Ephesians chapter 4, not numerically, but spiritually, as those who are members of our body are growing, developing, progressing in obedience to Jesus inwardly and outwardly as they make other mature disciples. Numerical growth is not the only kind of growth. And dear friends, pure numbers are probably not the best way to judge whether a church is growing. But there are two, two ways to judge whether a church is growing, whether God is at work, whether we're being obedient to how he is leading us to, to grow in a biblical sense. First of all, are new people coming to Christ and partnering with us in gospel ministry? That's a good indicator of church growth. But it's not the only one. Because we know that a disciple of Jesus doesn't begin their walk of discipleship simply by becoming a new believer. But that, that's just the, I mean, that's not the end goal of our salvation. We celebrate today with Lucy, who was baptized, not as the end of her salvation, but the beginning. The beginning of her life in Jesus. We will know that we are growing as a church when we see more of us being obedient to Christ inwardly and most especially outwardly as we're making other disciples of Jesus. So now here's my challenge to you this morning. I challenge you to do one of two things. You see it in your worship guide. You'll see it up on the screen. First of all, if you're a member of our church, you're a member of First West, you have joined your life formally to this body of Christ. Commit today to help another member of our body to grow in maturity and obedience to Jesus this year. Commit today. Make the decision. You know Christ has commanded it. Commit today to do it. Commit today to do it. Second challenge is this. You're a younger believer uh, in our congregation. Younger in age, or maybe you're just a a newer believer. You may be in your your middle ages, but, but you're relatively new in the faith. You know by what God's word has told us today that you need to grow up in Christ. You need to mature in Christ. You may not necessarily be in a position to help others mature just yet. You will in time. But today you know that you need the help of someone else to grow in Jesus. So what I want you today is to take a step out in faith. Be humble enough to commit to, ask, to, commit to asking another believer, another member of our body for help as you grow in maturity and obedience. Maturing members, those of you who have been believers for a long time, take the step of obedience today to say, this year, I will disciple someone in God's word. I will do it. I will come alongside a younger man, a younger woman, someone new in their faith. I will help them grow in Christ. And if you are new to the faith, you're a newer believer, you have little confidence in the scripture, but you know 
that God is calling you to this. You are compelled even now. The Holy Spirit, as you've been praying, is leading you to this. You commit today, this year, to ask someone for help, knowing that maturing Christians love to help others who want to mature. So now it's response time. We've heard God's word, how he defines what spiritual maturity is, what it is not, and most especially how it happens intentionally, on purpose, in relationship, in community, with the whole body united together in Christ. In a moment, I'll pray, the praise team will come, and for a time, they're, they're just going to, to play instrumentally. As we, where we are in our seats, prayerfully ask God to lead us to respond in obedience to his word this morning. Christian, do you need to commit this year to disciple someone? Do you need to commit this year to ask for help because you know you're not growing on your own? Let today in our time of response be that time for you to respond in obedience. Maybe you're confused about all this and maybe you're just still trying to work all of this out in your head and you don't even know where to start. You're, you're, you don't feel prepared. Respond that way too. Just say, say to, to God and, and to, to, to us, to pastors and staff who are trying to lead and equip our church for the work of ministry, let us know you don't feel prepared so we can know how to prepare you. So here's where that little slip comes in handy on the backside. Hopefully you've already written your name on the front. On the backside, you've got space to write. Write your commitment. Write your response to God's word today. Yes, I commit. I will this year look for someone to disciple. Yes, this year I will ask someone to help me. Pastor, help me. I, I, I'm praying through this and I'm just not sure yet. Let us know. I can't equip you for the work of ministry if I don't know, if you, if, if, and if I don't give you opportunity to let me know how you have yet to be equipped, right? Where, you're, where you may be lacking and, and what skills I can, I can help to equip us with. But we must make disciples. At all costs, we must make disciples. We must be obedient to God's call. We must grow in spiritual maturity and obedience to Jesus Christ. As we respond, I'll be uh, here at the front. I, I won't stand and face you, but I'm going to ask you to make your commitment um, public today. right? And bring those slips of paper with your response and, and lay them just here at the front steps. You're not laying them here at my feet, but just in a sense at God's feet saying, God, this is my commitment to you. If you're not comfortable coming and walking up in front of everyone to do that, there's a little basket on a stool at the corner of our welcome desk as you leave this morning. You can put your commitment card in there. But I pray that, that for the members of First West, that we would be bold enough to be publicly obedient to respond to God this morning and to his word. As I pray, you pray also and ask the Lord to, to lead in your heart, to, to direct you as to how you are to, to commit your life and respond to his word this morning. And then as you feel led, as the spirit moves, when you know what, is, what you must do, you come and just lay those slips here this morning. Let's pray.